and welcome back ladies and gentlemen children people of all ages as we are flying through this rock that is just circling the sun we hope that we can be a sort of mental distraction as you kind of don't think about aliens death whatever you're thinking about on this lovely day i'm your host matt mclaughlin alongside liam higgins packed episode covering the nba draft gonna do some hot takes right up the bat because that's just the way the media rolls these days sixers are making some moves also, some big uniform news out of the Sixers, which I just want to touch on real quick, scrolling through the Twitters. Um, also, Kyrie just confusing the absolute, just leaving my head in the days. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, so all that coming up. And uh, I'm Matt McLaughlin, joined by Liam Higgins. If I didn't say that already, please like, comment, subscribe. Hit those little three dots as you're listening to this episode and just share the link with someone. It's not that hard. It takes five seconds. Just do that. So let's jump into the actual show of this. Um, I don't know where to start. NBA draft. Let's start with that. Top three picks officially decided. Orlando Magic take Paulo Bancaro out of Duke. Uh, OKC, the Oklahoma City Thunder take Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga. Houston takes Jabari Smith out of Auburn. That's just the top three. And we're going to be doing like biggest deals, biggest surprises, whatever. Um, so Liam, what did you think about this draft? Just overall as a whole and then we'll jump into like the hot takes and stuff i mean i think everyone knew from the beginning that's a very it was a very hot uh, top heavy draft um i mean the, the top three picks could have all been number one picks in any given year um but i mean as like we're about to get into there are there were a couple steals in the first round um i don't know if you want me to get into it right now sure. or go ahead what, what do you sure. think was your like biggest steal out of this draft we'll just jump yeah, right so in. honestly my, my favorite one of my favorite players um in the draft was um, I'm still having trouble pronouncing his name, Ochai Abaji. Um, I think he nailed it. Did I? I think so. That sounds right. about right to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I loved his game all year. I think um, I don't think he really got enough respect. And that's kind of crazy thinking about like he was the best player on a championship team. And um, I, I just never thought that people talked about him enough. Um, I think he's going to be great in the NBA. I think he's athletic. Um, he can guard pretty much one through three. Um, he's got a great frame. He's six, six, um, can shoot. And, um, I think the Cavs really are building something special there. Um, with him. I, and, yeah, no, uh, I was I just gonna, it. I was gonna say like, I kind of agree. Like, that's not something I wouldn't, I don't hate that. Like, I don't, that's not, you're not reaching for that. And I agree. Like this draft was very top heavy. Um, once you get into like the 15s, the tw- 15, the 20, the rest of the draft, it's kind of a crapshoot. And I like your pick with the Abaji, um, pick to Cleveland at 14. And as you mentioned, this was a guy that was the best player on a Kansas team that was the national champion this past year. Um, but I do think that at number four, there was a little bit of a steal with Keegan Murray going to the Sacramento Kings personally, because you probably saying to yourself, whoever's listening to this, what Sacramento did well in the draft. Yeah, I think so. Sacramento took Keegan Murray, a guy that they needed someone to fill that spot in at the three spot, because with Harrison Barnes, like who has just been stealing money from the NBA. I don't know how this guy just does it, but he's been reliable, but I think Sacramento's just been kind of looking for an opportunity to offload him. And Keegan Murray kind of gives you a young option to at least, make it tempting for other teams to trade for Barnes if you attach some picks with it as well. And I think Keegan Murray can really learn from Mike Brown, who just spent the last, what was it, three to five years with Golden State. So the coaching staff hopefully is in the right spot. De'Aaron Fox and Demonte Sabonis are definitely going to be getting him open shots. De'Aaron Fox has really evolved as a playmaker since coming into the league. He's not just the guy that, you know, we kind of saw in his rookie year that just flies up and down the court. And Sabonis is one of the smartest passers in the game. So I think Keegan Murray was the best fit. And I don't think that taking taking another guard, which they could have taken with that pick, would have helped their situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think what it really means is that they have a lot of faith in Davion Mitchell. Um, I, I think that they really think that he can be a cornerstone for them. Um, personally, I, I would have gone with Ivy if I were them, um, just because I typically, I don't know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Keegan Murray. Um, I know he has a big frame. There's a, there's a lot that to like out of him. He scored what 23 a game at Iowa. Um, but it's interesting. Like I, I kind of compare him to a guy like Harrison Barnes, right? So 
I, I think that he will be a solid player. Um, I think that he will be a solid starter. I just don't think he'll be worthy of um, the fourth pick in a couple of years as we look back at it. Um, and I don't even know why that is. I just, for some reason, um, I just so never. Why, why, but, I, but why do you like Ivy more just because of his like scoring potential and he can kind of just go off whenever he wants to? Yeah, no, I, I think Ivy, I think Ivy, like, as, as I was watching the NBA draft, you know, they're going through comparisons and everyone pretty much said, you know, John Morant or um, uh, Dwayne Wade. Like they couldn't name any other like, like uh, normal player. Like they had to name like all these good players. And I'm like, that's who we're comparing him to. We can't even just say like, like scrubs in the NBA, not, not scrubs, but just casuals in the NBA. Like everyone's comparing it. Andrew to Perkins like, had some wild comps. He had some wild comps. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, if that's what we're going to compare him to, then that's in my opinion, someone that I would, I would want to take a chance on. Yeah. And I, I just don't know. I think this is more about fit with Sacramento more than anything, because assuming you draft Jaden Ivy, if you're the Sacramento Kings, you're going to have, a starting lineup of um, what, including DeMontis Sabonis, Davion Mitchell, um, Jaden Ivey, plus Harrison Barnes. I feel like that's a lot of too many ball-dependent guys to keep the ball moving, moving. And as we saw in the finals, Golden State, when you keep the ball moving, that leads to success. Boston's half-court offense was atrocious, partly because – they would, weren't moving the ball like they were in the beginning of the season or even when they had that huge turnaround midway through. So I think Keegan, this is more about fit. And if, and if he fits into that system and it becomes an 18, 20, 20 point per game scorer and can shoot like 40 to 43% per year, I think that's Sacramento hit it out of the park because this team has not gotten draft picks done well at all. Like they're like the Washington commanders of the NBA. Just bad, just bad overall. But outside of steals, who do you, what was the biggest surprise for you? Um, honestly, like five minutes before the draft even started, I mean, everyone thought Jabari Smith was going to the Magic, and then Woj Bomb drops literally as the Magic are on the clock, and they said they're going with Banjero. And I'm like, where no one saw this coming until now? Like, that, that was crazy because I, I really thought that Jabari would be the pick. I, I think this is like more of a best talent available pick, which is so corny. I hate that cliche, like, oh, take the best player available. No shit. What do you think they're doing most of the time? They're trying to take who they think is the best player available. But anyway, um, I so I've heard from people that Paolo isn't a good fit for this Orlando team and that Jabari would have been a much better fit and could have done better with Orlando. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, honestly, I'm looking at it more towards what I, I think Jabari is going to have more success with the Rockets than Bancara would have. Really? Think, Why I do think, you think that? I, I love the fit next to guys like Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and Jalen Green, just because I don't really think he needs to come in there and just be like a ball dominant guy. Right. And, and I know he will. Like, I know he, that is part of his game. Like he, he does um, need the ball, but those guys are going to allow him to, you know, get space for his obviously great shooting. Um, and he's not going to like be, I feel like on the magic, he would have needed like more of an offensive role. And I don't really think he's equipped to do that yet. Like, I, I feel like he is still kind of trying to figure out his game. Um, like everyone thinks he's, he's a spot up shooter, but I really think, you know, he's big enough and he's strong enough to be able to um, evolve his game into becoming like a, a finisher. Um, and, that, and that's honestly why I'm so high on him, because I, I really do think that although like everyone already recognizes that he is an elite prospect, I think there's still ways to go with him. Like, I really do think that he can evolve into something even crazier than we can really think of now. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think there's kind of this like. This is a really bad comp. This is a Kendrick Perkins caliber comp, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's kind of like. Andrew Wiggins getting drafted number one overall. We're like, here's this guy. He's got this very good frame for a three wing, three or four wing, whichever position you want to play him in. Has the talent and the athletic ability to play small, play tough defense, 
and can shoot well, but there's still a lot of untapped potential there. And I think that's where Jabari Smith, that kind of mold or that prototype fits. And I agree with you now that you kind of laid it out to me. I, when I saw Jabari Smith go to Houston, it felt like kind of like the air got taken out of me, like the air got taken out of my sails because Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. are still trying to figure out how to be like good teammates and good uh, facilitators of an offense. So if Jabari Smith goes there, I feel like he's not when, well, now that he's going there, not if, but when he goes there, it's kind of like limiting his opportunities to develop and grow. That's the way I kind of saw it. But now that you've laid out the idea of he has time to develop alongside them, that kind of gets me on the, oh, okay, this actually was a very good pick. And with me, like, in my opinion, the biggest surprise was probably Jaden Ivey falling to five to Detroit. Like, I thought he was going to take be taken much earlier than that. And with – it's so weird because that St. Peter's game, he was so bad. What was it, the Sweet 16, Elite 8, whichever game that was. He just looked so bad. And he – supposedly he refused to work out with a few teams in the top five. He didn't disclose medical records. I think it was to Sacramento specifically was one of the teams I heard. Not through – this is through other podcasts and shit. I'm not some, like, insider reporter. No, I'm, I'm just Matt a doofus. Yeah, McBomb's coming in. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a doofus with a podcast. Um, but yeah, I, it's t- Detroit is all of a sudden positioned in a very bright future spot, which is why I think they improved the most out coming out of the draft, and we'll get into that probably right now. When I'm looking at Detroit, they got rid of the Jeremy Grant trade, or they got rid of the Jeremy Grant contract. They picked up a first rounder in the process. Sure, it's via Milwaukee. But that's still a good asset to have just in case you want to make another trade. And they get Jalen Durant from the Nets or from the Knicks. And all of a sudden, this is a young core with Jalen Durant can grow alongside Cade Cunningham and Jay and Ivy as they all figure out the league together. And Cade Cunningham is definitely in a spot. He's going to get a massive contract whenever he's eligible in a few years. And so Detroit will be kind of exciting to me, not as like a – oh, they're going to be a Cleveland where they get into the top five of the East. But I would expect like eight, seven, maybe six seed is their ceiling. And I would expect them to be in the playing tournament by the end of the season. And for Detroit fans, just be happy about that because it hasn't been good looks so far uh, the last few years. But what, what team do you think improved the most coming out of the draft? I mean, the obvious answer is Detroit. Um but like I said, honestly, not too far behind, in my opinion, is the Rockets. Not only did they get a guy in Jabari Smith, but they got a guy in Ty Ty Washington that a lot of people were very high on in college. Um, I think he'll be great. He's, he's also a kind of guy that I think he does need a year or two to develop. But once he does, that's going to be perfect. Because I, I really don't – I'm not sure yet if Kevin Porter Jr. is their point guard going forward. And I feel like he could slip right in there and fill in that void. And Kevin Porter Jr. is like this weird, like, I don't know if this is the finished product of Kevin Porter Jr. Sure, he's a great scorer, and he had that, what, that 50-piece last season against the Bucks. But is that really all he's going to be is this very ball-dominant forward slash guard that he could have run the offense at one point? Um, but I think having Jabari Smith at least just – gives them more talent and they don't have to throw what's his name Sengun out there Sengun <laughs> so at least they get more star power that way but Houston Houston is so weird and now with this whole John Wall situation now that John Wall's finally bought out and we finally have a fucking answer to that question so I can play basketball again no way. John Wall the the second most confusing situation behind Kyrie Irving was the John Wall situation I don't know why it took so long if I was Houston, I would have just gotten that done immediately. But anyway, um, these guys just need as much time as they can to grow and develop. And unfortunately, it's probably going to be some bad games. Like there's going to be some games where they're just getting smoked by 30, 40 points because they're all figuring it out together. Uh, but Houston, another team with a young core that I could talk myself into watching on a late night, like 1030 tip ball, catch the first half. I'm not going to watch the whole game. But I'll, I'll catch the first quarter and see how competitive they stay in it. Um, but I talked about 
Kyrie situation, which we'll get to, but also the Sixers made some moves. Daryl Morey made some great moves with uh, trading for DeAnthony Melton. The Sixers get DeAnthony Melton in exchange for Danny Green and the number 23rd pick, which turned out to be David Robbie, Roddy, David Roddy out of Colorado State. Never heard of him in my life. I'm just going to be honest. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. Just never heard of a guy out of Colorado State before. What did you think about this trade? Is it the right move at the right time? So first off, I, I think I, I, I like it just because I think I'm more comfortable with a guy like DeAnthony Melton coming in than the David Roddy, as you just said, don't really know much about. Um, but yeah, uh, DeAnthony Melton's 24 years old. Um, yeah, I think he averaged a career high in points this year. He obviously can shoot. He shot, I think, around 37, 38% from three, which is awesome. Um, but chipping out a guy like Danny Green, you, you definitely needed to bring back some defense. And um, now we don't really have to rely solely on Matisse to be that primary defender. Obviously, he will defend the best player. But now we have a guy, DeAnthony Melton, who can kind of, you know, pick up the slack where if, if Matisse is hurt, you know, if he's, you know, on the bench, foul trouble, um, you know, DeAnthony Melton's going to be great for us. I really, really like that move. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing coming into the season is, is for the Sixers at least is um, improving the bench. And I think really this is awesome move by Daryl. Yeah, ex exactly. That was the biggest takeaway was improving that bench. So I don't have to see for Korkmaz out there for another five minutes, please. For the love of God almighty. Uh, yeah. I really like this move. You kind of mentioned the defensive uh, prowess, I guess you could say, you know, the one of those sports center guys like, oh, he's really he's really aware defensively of the passing lanes in this situation. It's like and maybe it's he just right because like he's only six two, but he's got it, it, I really didn't before I really looked it up. I always thought of him to be like a very like lengthy kind of guy. But that's just because he's so good defensively that he can just pick pocket and, you know, guard. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah, he's averaged he's averaged over a steal per game every season in his career. So it's four seasons. I don't know why I just said it that way, but um, and yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. And he kind of gives another facilitating option coming off that second unit instead of Shake Milton trying to run the second unit. Which would thank God we don't like. I respect Shake. I love Shake, but need another facilitator. That's what I felt like watching that Miami series. And even before that, um, with the, who, what was the first round series for the Sixers? Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Who do we play in the first round? Why am I Raptors Raptors? That's who it was. Oh yeah. Those scumbag Northern fans. <laughs> your favorite, your favorite. I hate the Raptors. I hate, I hate Toronto's fan base <laughs> so much. Um, but anyway, watching the Toronto series and the Miami series, it, when that bench unit came in, you had to Doc had to leave Tyrese or Joel or James Harden out there, and it just kind of added this like anxiety and hold my breath feeling of like, oh God, what is this offense going to do? Could this could be either a 10-0 run where we stretch out the lead, or it just could be an utter collapse and Joel beat only gets like 30 seconds of rest, and. So now Melton brings that stability. And also, Daryl Moore also signing P.J. Tucker, who we put on our big board of free agents, would just like to say that, okay? <laughs> we're, not, we're not complete doofuses on here. Signing P.J. Tucker, that again adds more stability. And it's supposedly, according to Keith Pompey, Pompey of Philly Inquirer, I apologize if I butchered your last name. I'm used to it. McLaughlin is a tough name to pronounce, so I empathize with that. Um Getting PJ Tucker for supposedly a three-year, thirty million dollar contract—that's expensive as fuck. And I, I, I have a feeling that PJ Tucker is going to do something that just gets the Phillies fans to turn on him, or he could be one of the most beloved athletes in Philadelphia sports history. Could go either way. Um, sum, sums up Philly sports, and again, adds more stability and brings more toughness, which they desperately need. I just like where's the scoring, and also. Does this mean that Tobias could potentially be on the move? And is Daryl looking to trade Tobias now that they have a PJ Tucker type guy that can start if needed to? Like, what do you think about that PJ Tucker signing? Like, I like I like it from the standpoint of it gives us a guy that that brings, like you said, a lot of toughness, a lot of grit. Because I feel like there weren't a lot of guys on the team this year that had that um, kind of 
uh, or about them. I, it I felt like Tobias and Tyrese were the only guys that were willing to go down in the paint and actually right, muscle right. some dudes. And, and I like that. You know, obviously it brings it in a veteran presence. Um, but I think I, I, I like it more just because of the fact that it's PJ Tucker and, and he has that kind of respect around the NBA as being a, a guy that's going to do all the dirty work. And, and, you know, everyone respects him just because he is a kind of player that, you know, will, will put um, himself on the line to, to help his team win. I like that. I just don't love the fact that how old is he now? He's, he's got to be over 30, probably yeah. coming up on 35 at some point. Yeah. Um, but keep going while I look this I, up. I like, as we mentioned the last podcast for me, um, and I kind of just contradicted it with my point about the Anthony Melton. But I, I he's do 37. Want- Holy yeah. fuck. This yeah. we're paying this dude until he's full. That's that's my point, is that uh, I'm not sure uh, how long it's gonna last. And I I do think in the end, although he might have, you know, a good year or two, I think in the end, it might not be the best move. And I think it is Daryl Moore just kind of pulling the trigger with all of his former Houston Rockets. And we're, I guess we're now becoming the Philadelphia Rockets now. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, we're just bringing back the 2016 Rockets just yeah, in literally. just five years, six years later before it's too late. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah. Oh, God. I just think the biggest thing for me is that one, how long will, will he last? Um, and two, I, I don't really think a three-year contract is something that is appropriate for PJ Tucker. Yeah. But it, with all these moves with the window that the Sixers are in, which is a championship window. If the Sixers win a championship, all these moves are validated. Every single one of these where it's, whether it's the Tobias contract, whether it's the sign and trade away, signing and trading Jimmy Butler away and signing PJ Tucker. I'm looking at PJ Tucker's minute stats right now. He's played over 25 minutes per game. The last one, two, three, four, five, six. So, like, he's played over 25 minutes per game pretty much every season of his career, except the first two seasons he was in the league. And even that second season, he was averaging 24 minutes per game. So I'm fine with him playing 15, 20 minutes per game. He brings some toughness, and he can swing games. And as we saw as Sixers fans, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Daryl Moore, if, like, hypothetically, Sixers win a title, with PJ Tucker on the bench and you know, there's the, the classic interview of like, Oh, Daryl, what do you, when do you guys, you know, know that PJ was the right guy to add toughness to this locker room, yada, yada. And he's like, you know, when I saw in that second round series in 2022, you know, PJ barking at our guys and how much you can mentally change a team. That's why I knew we had to sign that guy at all costs. So everything gets justified if there's a title. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to swallow these like three year, four year deals when we're going to be paying these guys late in their careers. But I mean, not signing JJ Redick was probably one of the biggest mistakes of this, of this organization. So we've seen it backfire the other way, you know? I think just for me, like, and I know we've mentioned this in a few podcasts now, or at least I have, um, I just think age is a very, it's, it's a very prominent issue with the Sixers. Um, I think that we do need to get younger, but that also doesn't mean we can't, that doesn't mean we, we should just, you know, uh, Full, blow it up lottery and... picks and every year and just kind of like, hopefully, hopefully they work out. But um, I think the biggest thing for us is that we need to get more athletic and we need to get younger. And although PJ Tucker doesn't really like, you know, fit both of those um, needs, I, I do think we did also need, someone to come in and kind of be a veteran presence and, um, you know, set an example from day one and, and really be the guy that we can, you know, rely on besides, cause I, I really don't think a lot of people are very high on doc rivers coaching style, um, nowadays, but, um, bringing in a guy like PJ Tucker will definitely help with the, the, the locker room and, and just, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page and making sure that we know going into certain games like the playoffs um what we're getting into and how we can you know obviously win those games you there can't hear you 
Hello. All of his career. And sorry, you froze. Dwight Howard, when Dwight, a couple of years ago, like Dwight Howard, um, my internet is shoddy right now. So if I fade in and out, just tell me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but these, these type of veteran signings have worked out before with like Dwight Howard a couple of years ago, JJ Redick for the last three to four years. I just, for me, it's the cost, right? Like the cost of that $30 million price tag. If that's all guaranteed. That is tough to swallow. Pause. That's what she said. Um, had to. My had mom will love that when she watches this. I'm sure she will. Uh, <laughs> I made I made it. That's what she said. Joke at a catering job, and everyone just kind of looked at me, and I was like, I was like, if, if there, if I'm living in a world where that's what she said, jokes aren't allowed. I don't want to live in it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Watching too much of The Office. Um, but. They need the lower cost guys like a Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova, some of those guys. And with Matisse, it's always been a question about his offensive game. For whatever reason, he plays well offensively when he's with Australia in the Olympics or those FIBA competitions or FIBA World Cups. But that doesn't translate for whatever reason when he joins rejoins the Sixers. I don't understand why. I really, I really don't. But that and as of now. Would I train Matisse? Yes. But I do want to give him that leeway of at least building his stock up like halfway through next season to at least give him time to develop. And I don't, I hate giving up on young players like too soon in their careers, you know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I I think for me, uh, I think I was really expecting Matisse to take a step up offensively this year. And that doesn't even just mean like scoring 20 points a game, right? That just means being able to hit open threes, you know, and and, yes. and he wasn't really able to do that consistently. And, you know, I was one of those people where I'm like, we cannot trade him um, away in, in the Ben Simmons trade. We cannot trade him for Harden. And I was, you know, super persistent about that. Like, no, no way. We're giving up Matisse. You know, he's our best defender, blah, blah, blah. And like you said, now it's a totally different story, um, especially for bringing in a guy like PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton. I think he is definitely expendable at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, last thing on the Sixers, the Philly Inquirer uh, reported today that the Sixers could bring back the Iverson black jerseys from the early 2000s. About soon. time. It's about time. I don't understand why this team didn't do this for this season. It was the NBI, NBI, NBA 75th anniversary. It was perfectly set up. Okay, you bring back the AI jerseys. You go on the, the, you know, the run of getting into the playoffs and whatnot. And now the 70, like, I'm sorry, but bringing back the NBA. No, I'm not sorry. Then bringing back the Iverson black jerseys for the 76th season is different than for the 75th season. I'd almost would have rather waited for another 25 years, push them back to the hundredth season. I would have been cool with that, but yeah, I guess better late than never. Uh, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. I'm grateful. I will be copping a Joel Embiid the Sixers with that little script logo with the black and it's dope. It's dope. Yeah. I I'm so excited for this. Uh, It's been a long time coming for them. And uh, I've just seen so many like Instagram edits of those jerseys. I'm like, why the hell have they not put these out yet? Like they look so cool. And uh, the Sixers jersey definitely need to read it. I, I, I really, they're just so boring, man. Like I hate to say it, but they really are. Like I'm, I'm just so, ready for are you talking team. are you talking like the regular ones that they wear during the yeah, season just like the, the, yeah. the blue the, the white yeah i wish also this reminded me the sixers literally let ben simmons design a jersey and this motherfucker <laughs> still complain i'm bringing this back to ben simmons this dude still complained and they yeah. they gave him a jersey yeah and and he said no i don't want to play here anymore god i hate ben simmons yeah. um yeah, enough Ben Simmons talk. Bum. Uh, okay. <laughs> Bryce Harper, we can't have nice things in Philly because Bryce Harper just broke his finger uh, in the Padres game. Padres closing closing game. Uh, took a pitch. It was like a 97-mile-per-hour fastball from Blake Snell. Just rode in on him up high. And credit to Bryce. Uh, he said that he knew it wasn't intentional and it was just a pitch that got away from Snell. And thank God he said that because, like, as I saw this happening on the TV, 
I thought like Philly was going to turn into like a bunch of goons for the mob and just start like legit just booking flights to San Diego and just showing up at Blake Snell's house. And just, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I would not be surprised either. Uh, so I'm glad that like, I'm glad there's no bad blood because honestly, like the Padres are still stacked. And if the Phillies have to meet the Dodgers in the postseason, I don't want, I don't want the Padres having any bulletin board material. They got Tatis back and Machado's keeping up what he's doing. But anyway, um, so now there's a lot of questions with the Phillies. Of course there are. And I know they're not. I'm, yeah, it's just, they're four and six this season without Bryce. So they can stay afloat. They're capable of staying afloat, but like they're obviously going to have to make some moves. Do you have any like, you know, kind of spitball idea targets that the Phillies should at least look at to trade for? So I think the biggest thing for me is that um, I I, th- I think we're solid in the infield. The outfield is probably my biggest question. Um, mm-hmm. Guys like Veerling and Moniak, um, I know obviously they're not like they're not uh, totally like MLB players yet. Like they're still growing into the into you know, what they can become. But um, I think those kind of guys, especially with Moniak, right? Like he was the number one pick in the MLB draft, correct? Who was? Moniak? Yeah. 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 So I, I think, obviously, like, there is still potential there. Um, and getting, you know, guys that can kind of play that um, center field role that he, you know, plays here here and there now when he's in the lineup um, <laughs> uh, would be would be Whenever huge. he's there. Yeah. Um, also, I, I, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. When we signed D.D. DD Gregorius um, – I remember everyone just being so excited about it. And I think he's been underwhelming. I, I really, I think you can get something better for him. Um, and yeah, I, again, like Bohm has been solid. I, I think you keep Bohm. Um, But I, I, I don't think we should, we should shake it up too much. I do like our core group right now. Um, maybe you bring in a pitcher or two, but I mean, even Zach Eflin's impressed me um really i feel like i've been disappointed by zach Eflin. really i feel like i yeah this year it felt because remember towards the end of the season last year he was the bona fide number three guy and i don't i'm i'm looking up his stats right now um i mean okay so he's kind of posting a similar era he's got a lower whip than last season um he's got half innings pitched I just, for whatever reason, I still feel like, I still feel like I'm missing something from Zach Eflin, and I feel like it isn't enough to overcome a potential postseason matchup where you got to win a three game series or five game series, however the fuck these playoffs are laid out right now, um, because baseball changes it up like every single year, and with the Phillies, like they got to look at, they got to go bargain bin hunting or at least try and package a Gregorius with draft picks or cash considerations and at least try and get a guy on a bad team that they can at least poach away. Um, And one guy that kind of popped up for me was Trey Mancini with Baltimore. Trey Mancini is having one of the better seasons of his career. He's healthy. He's played in 67 games this season. Um, He's hitting 281 on batting average, which is, the highest since the 2019 season, which was he was hitting 291. And compared to that 2019 season, he's got a higher on base percentage. And his slugging percentage is a little bit down. But I think with the with the lineup that the Phillies have, there's less pressure on him to produce. So that'll make it that'll make his approach much more uh comfortable and he'll be much more kind of at ease. So with that being said, I would I would personally try and get Trey Mancini at all costs, not all costs, obviously don't trade fucking Alec Bohm. Like don't, don't do something stupid. But I feel like I have to say that with the Phillies, but he was definitely, he was an ideal target for me that I would at least uh, try and do something. Cause now like you can't waste this opportunity. You get, you signed to Castellanos, you get Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber is crushing the ball this month. There's no way that the Phillies can just sit on their laurels and hope that when Bryce comes back around September, which is some, what some reports are suggesting that 
you'll be in the divisional race. You'll be in the wild card race. And that Bryce will take you over the top and he'll just come it back in like a glove and everything will be fine. That can't happen. If they do, I will march down at Dave Dombrowski's office and try to get in, probably get thrown out, but try to get in at least launch some type of some type of unease and anger and in, in the process. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how do you think this really sets the Phillies back or do you think they'll be able to stay afloat? Uh, I, I think in the beginning, I thought it would, but Kyle Schwab has just been so dominant. Like, I, th- I feel like he is kind of picking up where Bryce is not going to be there. Like, I, I do think that he, he's kind of going to fill that offensive role. Like, he, he really doesn't, like, it's almost like he doesn't, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, he, how old is he again? Schwarber? Yeah. Didn't he, he just turned, I want to say he just turned, uh, like I feel like he, pl- I feel like he's there every time we need him, and there's never like a, there's never a time where he's hurt or he's like you know, lacks of days ago. Yeah, like he- the problem, the problem was that he wasn't producing. There was a point this season where his batting average was as low as like one sixty, one seventy. He's just and now him. I, that's that's my biggest thing is that he's so dependable, and um, I'm not, and I'm also not saying that he's the whole team, right? Like I do think you know Castellanos is picking up a little bit. Um, yeah, Castellanos just had that that four hit game. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 obviously it is a setback, but I don't think it is a major setback at all. So Schwarber is 29, turns 30 next March. Um, so he's definitely not aging by any. Well, he is aging, obviously, but not old as old as dirt like PJ Tucker, like we were talking about <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah. But and the Phillies kick off the series against the Braves tonight as we're recording this. And the Braves don't have Kenley. Kenley Jansen for the time being, which is great, I guess, like cool, but it's still just kind of, it just kind of concerns me. Like how long can Schwarber maintain this pace? How long can they really keep this going? And they're getting towards the end of the first half of the season. They got, so they got three game series against the Braves, three game series against the Cardinals and then a three-game series against the Nationals. So th- those are their next nine games as we're recording this. And it's just this, the Cardinals are absolutely killing it. Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright are playing like it's 2011 all over again, which boggles my mind. Scientists should be studying this for years to come. <laughs> um, and and with, with this upcoming series, this is the big push that you can make. If Schwarber can get his average up to, I said it, I don't know if I said it on this podcast, I said to someone, I swear that if Schwarber can get his average up to 220 by the all-star break and then get through the all-star break, come back rejuvenated and go on a tear to open the second half of the season where they're all rested and come at least come back with at least a little bit of hope and like, okay, we got their ship rightfully on the right path. That is huge. And it's it, there's no more deflated feeling than going into an all-star break when the team is on a three-game losing streak, four-game losing streak. They've lost three out of their last five, whatever it is. There's no more deflating feeling than that as a baseball fan because then it's like, oh, shit, what are we going to see in the second half of the season? So if they can end this all-star break on a positive note, that puts even more pressure on the Mets. That puts even more pressure on the Braves to keep up their hot their hot streaks and their you know, kind of keep going the way they've been going. And so I personally think it'll be steady at first, but there's going to be some low points. There's going to be some low points probably coming out of this all-star break where you're going to probably see a few shutouts of the Phillies are just going to be shut out. Like that's just going to happen. Um, and I hope Moniac can, this is finally the opportunity for Moniac to get back to the Moniac that we saw in spring training where he was hitting like Ted Williams type numbers and that'll hopefully open the floodgates for everyone else to get going. And maybe that gives the pitchers more confidence, take more chances. And then the defense steps up and everything gets going and clicking on all cylinders, but it's a scary situation. I would not be surprised if the Phillies just come at, we said this last week, we always jinx the Phillies. We always did it again. We We did did it it again. (laughs) We did it again. So Here's hoping, I'm not saying they will, here's hoping, because I don't want to jinx it, here's hoping that they can figure everything out and they can 
just stay 500. I think if you stay 500 and that'll be a huge, not boost, but like not a moral win, but also like, that's a good thing. which is weird for me to say, you know, be mediocre. Yeah. But that's the way I feel. It's just, that's the way I think this, the way this division shakes out because I'm waiting for the Mets collapse. I'm waiting for that one big losing streak where they hit a wall and they can't recover. This is going to happen at some point. At least I hope because then this clip is going to sound so stupid, but that's the way this, this cookie crumbles. Um, all right, back to basketball. Finish up with this Kyrie stuff. Kyrie officially opts into his last year of his contract, $37 million. Uh, he will get this upcoming season, and then he will be an unrestricted free agent with the Brooklyn Nets. However, there's no uh, – there's no uh, – there's trouble in paradise. That was the phrase I was looking for. There's trouble in paradise still. Shams reported the night of the draft uh, last Thursday that Kevin Durant is still, quote, closely monitoring – the net situation and the offseason and considering his options for the future. So there's no guarantee that Katie still comes back despite all of this uh, after the season has played out. And there's still heavy mutual interest supposedly between the Lakers and Kyrie, which I have no idea why I don't understand it. But now that Kyrie's opted in Kevin Durant's there at least for another year, the Lakers have Russell Westbrook for another year as he opted in this morning. Where do where do the Nets go from here to just stable, like just get back to stability? Like where where can they go that they can finally reach the promised land that they haven't reached so far with KD and Kyrie? So first of all, I, I don't really see uh, obviously like everyone thought Kyrie was going to the Lakers as of you know yesterday, pretty much. But yeah. I, I really do. I don't think Katie will leave. Um, the in, most interesting scenario I saw, though, was that Katie, I would think this would be super cool. I don't know if it'd work, but it'd be super cool. Is that if Katie goes to OKC again and they kind of do like an Andrew Wiggins kind of deal, right? Where they ship out Chet Holmgren and try to get another star to pair alongside Shea and KD. I think that was the coolest thing. That's, that's like, uh, that's like uh like if NBA 2K uh blacktop mode was like yeah. uh like was like a real thing. Like Shay and KD and then Chet and Ben Simmons. Let's just see how this works out. <laughs> yeah. That would that would be awesome. That that would be fun to watch. And I just don't understand how I just don't understand how Kyrie can think this way. Like I don't I've never under I've never understood this. And there's a hilarious tweet. So after Shams uh, tweeted that he was opting in, he also retweeted Kyrie's statement on Twitter. Uh, and Kyrie's statement was, uh, quote, normal people keep the world going, but those who, dare to those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall, A11 even. And then I got to give credit to the dude who replied to this pure MBA at pure underscore MBA 23. He said, this dude seriously thinks he's MLK for opting in. Which is Socrates Irving at it again. <laughs> Socrates. Oh my God. Like, I... How can you be this? I've never met someone like, I get it. People are different. We all have different opinions as different human beings. We all have, the, our brains are wired completely differently to who we are as human beings. However, I've never met someone so more out of touch with how they're perceived as a person. Like, I've never seen this before. And Kyrie also like called out Stephen A earlier today too. And then Stephen A did a classic like notes app text and screenshot and posted, posted it to the gram. Uh, and I just, it baffles me. It, it really does baffle me that Kyrie is just like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a confuse these motherfuckers. I'm a, I'm a confuse. I'm a, I'm a say some words. I'm a drop some bombs on them. And it's like, I, I don't think this pairing works out. I really don't. Kyrie is so unreliable, not just from an availability perspective, but that Boston series, sure, he had that insane fourth quarter, that second half in game one in the Boston series where he went off. But at those last, what was it, three games, four games, he wasn't the same guy. And that 
heavy isolation style is exactly what the Nets need to get away from. That is not going to work in the NBA. You need basketball as a game based in ball movement. I sound like a dude in like the 80s, talking about like dudes from like the 50s. Like basketball is a game based on ball movement. You need to have your teammates involved because otherwise, as the Celtics did, they keyed in on KD and Kyrie and made their lives living hells. So I the Nets need to figure out some other supporting pieces. And if I was the Nets, I would have just been like, fuck it, go walk, go. We don't want you. Like, get out, see what opportunities you're going to get. And also, I want to get, like, what do you think about how the Nets, like, do you think the Nets are kicking themselves for not keeping that young core of, like, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, like, those guys? Do you think they're kicking themselves over that? Like, we had a homegrown team that was beloved in the city and a coach that was kind of on the rise, and we just kind of blew that all up for this headache. Like, do you think the organization's thinking that? I mean, I think a little bit. I mean, obviously, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are light years ahead of all those three guys. But um, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I think they like established a culture in Brooklyn. I don't really think Katie or Kyrie or any of the, these players in the roster right now have ever come close to establishing a kind of culture identity as that those guys did. Um, but I mean, I think. Another thing we really haven't mentioned is that the Nets are pretty deep, right? They just can't like there's I don't know if are they though are they? No, I I think Bruce Brown's obviously I think he, we mentioned him in the last project podcast. Sorry, um, that um, he'd be awesome for the Sixers, but I don't think they're gonna give him up. And then they have a guy like Cam Thomas who I think is gonna be really good. Um, but it, it's weird to me how. I mean, obviously, we don't know how the Ben Simmons situation is going to pan out. But um, Ben Simmons is not taking Brooklyn over the top. Yeah. I can tell you that I'm yeah. I'm willing to go skip Bayless on this. I will die out. Ben Simmons will not take Brooklyn over the top because basketball is not his priority. And I'm looking – I'm trying to find – where the fuck is Brooklyn? I'm trying to look up Brooklyn's roster. I agree. Like, that was Cam Thomas. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a big-time scorer for years to come, I think, in the league. Bruce Brown, true. Also true. I but how much how much more are they going to be relying on these aging guys like a Patty Mills and Andre Drummond? Um, Blake Griffin got no playing time until game what was it, game five, game four. And even then you knew it was just Steve Nash throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. I just think if you replace either Steve Nash with a better coach or Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe Kyrie is the problem, which I wouldn't. I mean, I obviously believe he is, but um, if you replaced him, you know, with a guy like Damian Lillard or something, I think that team's a championship contender right away. And I'm not that this team isn't, but there's too many question marks. Um, they they just have too much going on in the locker room, and and I, I like I do like their roster as constructed, but I, I think that Kyrie is just way too much to handle, as we just read in that tweet. I think this this guy is just insane, and. I don't feel bad for Katie at all, but in a way I sort of do <laughs> just cause I, I would, I would just, I would just leave at this point if I were him, but I, I know he won't do that. But Yeah. Do you really think he's going to leave for the, the, the second time in four years? Like he can't. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what, this is what bothers me about certain players is that, they think that every single like criticism about them, sometimes there's not all players. Some players think that every single criticism is like, Oh, you're anti-player. You're old media as Draymond's coining now. <laughs> um, it's like, no dude, like we're just holding you accountable. Like there's a fine line between being anti-player and holding a player accountable. Kyrie, for example, is it really too much to ask to show you to show up for work dog? Is it really Mr. If it's injury, that's one thing, obviously. But he's, he just disappeared on the Nets for uh, a week, two weeks, whatever it was, when the uh, January 6th riots happened. And then um, this year, he he didn't get the vaccine, which, respect, I'm not going to get into that whole debate because it's not what this podcast is about. But you're still missing half of your games, which could have put the Nets – possibly probably out of the playing tournament which okay if they're out of the playing tournament do they get home court advantage if they get a home court advantage how does boston handle going into a game 
five, a game seven in Brooklyn. And there's just so many different things. And a lot of this just goes back to Kyrie and Brooklyn's a team that is trying to win a title with KD. And I respect KD for sticking with Kyrie and saying, Hey, if you trade away Kyrie, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I respect that, but it's not the smartest move in my opinion. And I'm not one of the greatest scorers that's ever walked the planet earth, but that's just my opinion. And it, it just, if I'm Brooklyn, I would at least start looking at plans for the future and just how can I build, what do, what does a team with Cam Thomas, Bruce Brown um, look like, like what pieces would they need just to kind of get a jump start on that? Cause I'm not, I'm not, ex- I'm not going to sell the farm just to keep KD happy and have a massive headache in Kyrie, who I don't know when he's going to play next. Yeah. I, I think in the end, Although I, I do, it's fun to speculate what's going to happen in these next couple months. But as far as the KD and Kyrie situation, I think it will end up just being much ado about nothing. I really do think that they're both um, going to be in Brooklyn. Um, you know, obviously we'll see what happens next season, but for now, I think they're just going to stick there. That's fine. It's a good way to end it. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, follow us on all audio and video platforms. Check out the video there. Uh, we got some clips up. And, uh, yeah, so that does it all for Liam Higgins and Matt McLaughlin. That's me. Uh, and we will catch you in the next episode. So as let's all, let's all enjoy the summer. Let's all try and pray that the Phillies don't fuck this shit up. Let's also pray that Kyrie has someone that can get through. Because <laughs> I just am hoping someone's there to just get through to them. That's I don't even even think a priest could get through to him at this point <laughs> a priest is just an abstract concept created by man in order to yeah it's like the pope's not really real dog like it's all just a simulation it's like okay <laughs> like okay Kyrie, did you just like smoke too much weed today like what what happened not saying Kyrie smokes weed just a joke all right Kyrie, before you start you know just start blasting away on twitter all right just a joke wasn't alleging anything all right, that does it all. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Oh, this is a dumb ending, but whatever. All right, we're, we're gone. We're done. We're done. Irish goodbye. All right, done. <laughs>